Ahoy, and welcome to the Open Journal Blogcast. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, education, starting conversations, and looking at some of the tools that support our well-being as well. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission to say, you just need a little bit of help. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to Open Journal and to episode 234. I hope you are well out there. Welcome to the new year and to 2022. I'm pretty sure I've got that. One. Yes, 2022. Uh, I hope you had a great festive period or new, uh, and new year or, or kind of whatever you were doing. Um, and I hope you've been enjoying the recent episodes. We've had a nice range of guests, both new and returning over the last few months. Uh, so a big thank you to all of them and a big thank you to today's guest James for coming on and for sharing his insights James is a first-time guest on the podcast but some of you may recognize him as being a speaker from the mental health blog awards last summer Uh, so I'm really looking forward to sharing our conversation where we talk a little bit about James's lived experience with mental health illness but also his experience as a uh, an author and an editor of mental health books as well We're particularly going to be kind of mentioning or reflecting on some of the um, content uh, and the focus points for James's new book that's released this month in January, which is uh, How to Tell Anxiety to Sod Off. So do look for the links um, in the description or from um, James's social media and websites and stuff like that as well. Definitely go and have a look at that. So we'll mention the links at the end of our conversation but they'll also be in the, the, the show notes or the description with the podcast as well. If you're interested in coming on yourself as a guest uh, on the podcast in the future, you can find information on the website, which is Open Journal BC, uh, and there'll be information about kind of yeah how we have some of the d- discussions and, and some of the things to prep if you want to prep. Um, I really hope you enjoy um, this discussion. We did have a couple of small audio issues. So there's a few bits where the sound is a little bit crackly um, and I've just not really been able to edit those out. So hopefully um, you can bear with us on this episode because as I say, it's really good conversation with James. And again, a big thank you to him for giving up his time to to come along and share his, his personal insights and his experience of, as I say, um, writing a number of mental health focused books as well. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. I hope things are good for you and that you've kicked off your year um, with a really positive mindset and that good things are coming to you and for you this year. So I really look forward to continuing to share some amazing discussions in the future and I look forward to speaking to you again more soon. But for now, enjoy this week's episode and stay safe out there. So yeah, it's lovely to to sit down and be able to talk with James. I think we have spoken a few times in the past and obviously you presented at the Mental Health Blog Awards um, this year. It feels like so long ago now. Um, But yeah, it's it's really nice to kind of have a chance just to sit down and and have a conversation with you. Um, I don't know about 
where you are like, like today's been a horrible day for the weather but how has your last like few days been and, and what's going on with you at the moment yeah it's been like today yeah today was incredibly stormy yeah so i mean kind of yeah torrential waves so i'm i'm in i'm in brighton um mm. like i work in um burgess hill and um yeah so yeah when i was at work and it was just yeah it felt like sort of apocalyptic stuff you know it was just kind of extraordinary you know yeah so it's it seems to have calmed down a bit now i have to say although it's still windy but um but yeah, yeah. it's been yeah. on and off here today uh like i'm i'm sort of fairham area so i'm a little bit yeah. along the, the coast from you and um yeah there's been sort of 10 minute spells where it's been very very windy or very yeah. very wet and then it just disappears again <laughs> um so yeah I've, I've gone out there and sort of checked what's about moved a fence panel and kind of crossed my fingers <laughs> that that's going to stay where it's meant to so um yeah it's a bit tricky out there at the moment but i guess we're rolling through into kind of uh darker weather colder times um but we yeah. are we're recording this kind of early to mid december although i think when it's shared it's probably going to be early january um it's still going to be this sort of weather it's going to be winter it's going to be yeah. um dark and it's a time when i guess a lot of us experience um mental health illnesses and symptoms are, are struggling um like how are you doing at the moment with um with kind of going through this period like w- what are your skills to keeping yourself well you know it is it's really tough i, I have to say i find november the most difficult because i it you know the light has changed you suddenly have that shock of you know the clock has the clock has gone clock's gone back and just the sheer darkness is just is is incredible and you know it, it kind of you know this happens every year but each year i'm shocked by how dark it is you know and and i know for me the lack of light is i mean i i, I don't have seasonal affective disorder you know but it but it does have a big impact on me and and I light a lot of candles is what I do. So as soon as the clocks go back, I have, you know, sitting down to watch TV or reading, you know, I, I have candles in front of me and kind of just needing some light and something nice. And then sort of Christmas comes along and, you know, things things get a bit jollier, but but yeah, sort of November and then running up to December, um, really until, and in, in, you know, in the dark, dark bits of winter, having some candles is just really helpful. I, I once went when I went on honeymoon. Actually, I went to um, my husband and I went to Tromso, so right in the um, Arctic Circle, mm. and we went sort of round about this time of year. And, and and literally there was kind of you know it would get light about nine and then it would get dark about twelve. So you had a, like a oh, wow. two-hour wi- a window <laughs> of doing anything, <laughs> and so it was extraordinary. Um, but actually, what was lovely is that in each everybody's window so nobody would have curtains so everybody just had candles in their window it was the most beautiful thing really really stunning and yeah the whole place was just lit up with candles and it was beautiful and and kind of from then on really I've been a great advocate of of candles and you know just a you know candles as a metaphor or just you know just having something nice and light and and shiny Mm. you know during the winter months um just does really help does really help me actually you know yeah, this is the this is the first year I've really noticed it. I think I've been a candle person for a while, mm. but this is the first year I've really noticed a candle person. This is the first year I've really noticed it. Like it's a very conscious thing. I think yeah. maybe more so with homework. I honestly can't remember what last year was like. Um, but I think it's the homeworking and um, kind of not really having other people around through big periods of either the day or the week um and it's nice just to have kind of that thing sort of flickering in the background and i kid myself it's given me some warmth (laughs) (laughs) not sure that one little flame is really doing much um but it just kind of yeah it creates that nice atmosphere it makes the work feel a little bit more relaxed and a bit more comfortable um so i think there's a big thing there for just giving yourself a little bit of space and like you say adapting to whether it's that there's less light it's colder or it's just a particular time of year um kind of recognizing that i yeah i i can't imagine only having one a couple of hours of light in the day that would i don't know maybe it's not that strange it feels it feels like a big jump but then i've had 
jobs and I've spoken to people where they kind of you get up and you go to work and it's dark and you finish and it's dark I suppose you're not seeing much natural light as part of the day I, I don't know yeah it just it's a it, cultural it, thing isn't it I guess it is yeah it was because I yeah so I've been to that part of the world sort of you know in the height of summer where it really doesn't get dark and then also in the complete opposite and and when it was really light I was just bouncing around it was just extraordinary you know and then and when it was yeah sort of two hours of daylight suddenly it got to about two o'clock and it just it just felt like night it felt like you should go to sleep so it, it was it's you know my husband was less impacted but but I was sort of really freaking out so I was going well we have to get out at nine o'clock because there's only two hours of light and we have to go out and do stuff and you know and then the afternoon I'll be like oh it's time it's time to go to sleep and so like your body clock just completely it just goes all over the place um and I found I, I don't really don't think I could do it on a you know on a regular basis I, you know, I find this period difficult now mm. um but yeah I, I think there's something about I think candles are really comforting aren't they and I think this time of year especially if you have mental health problems that having comfort is really important so candles or blankets or you know having something nice surrounding you is 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 a really important and and I think that's definitely what I try and go for you know is of having comforting things you know um so you know it's also that my cat is you know more prone to sitting on me because it's colder so you know kind of that helps but just sort of being surrounded by you know nice lighting and, and, and sort of comfy stuff sort of and making it as nice of an environment as you can when you're inside is um I think I think you know it is really is really important it's like you say it's finding that that thing that works for you isn't it and I think Ooh. um it's I guess that's the learning process in a, a lot of the things that we're kind of discussing um it's kind of looking after your own well-being and identifying the things that work for you and really I guess doing some work there really just to kind of have an opportunity to hear a little bit more about you really like we've spoken yeah. kind of generally about what's going on and the weather and kind of the the changing of seasons and things like that but just to hear a bit more about kind of you and your story and what's kind of led you to to where you are today really yeah so it's it's interesting kind of when I, when I look back really I I kind of you know I can look back in, way back into my childhood and and, and see that you know, mental health problems were with me, God, you know, you know, since a child, you know, so my dad died very early on when I was five. So I, I you know, I think when you have sort of big trauma in your, in, in your life, um, then that starts to obviously impact on your, on your mental health. Um, and then I was, I was also kind of abused as a child. So you have sort of big traumas in your childhood. And then I look at my family and I can see, there's a thread of um, mental health and mental illness in my family as well, you know, clear thread running, running all the way through. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but I, you know, when I was growing up in the sort of, um, in the 80s or late 70s, 80s, you know, things were so different, you know, I mean, even, and actually even into my sort of adulthood into the 90s and a college and university and stuff, you know, mental health just wasn't talked about, you know, it just wasn't, or when it was talked about, it was talked about in terms of, you know, people in asylums, and people were in, in asylums then, you know, mm. um, um, people, people were, um, or in, you know, in hospitals, and, and, and that, and that was mental health to me, so that was being mentally ill, was being in a hospital, um, you know, and, and, you know, certainly, and even, you know, even the start of the internet, you know, there was nothing really on the internet and, and, you know, no one was emailing. You couldn't just look up how to manage my depression, how to manage anxiety. It just wasn't, wasn't there. Um, and certainly was never talked about, you know, I never got any support at school after my dad died. You know, I never got any support at all around my mental health. So, you know, I remember having suicidal uh, very quite active suicidal thoughts you know about 14 and then at 20 no yeah 19 maybe and then had anorexia so you know but it wasn't until sort of 10 years ago probably that, that, that I sort of properly identified as somebody with a mental illness which just seems extraordinary really when I look back it's just like well how did that happen and I and I think and that's what stigma does, you know, that's what stigma does, you know, stigma 
that we apply to ourselves and, and society's stigma around mental illness as well. And I think because it's talked about so much more now, we forget those decades and decades and decades of very dark years around mental illness um, that a lot of us are still are still living with, you know, and and some people still living with that now because there was really nothing, you know, nothing was available. And I think at university there was a counselling service, but I think there was about one counsellor and, um, you know, certainly it was nothing that, you know, no one talked about it. Um, so really I kind of went, you know, up until probably my, let me try, try to think, sort of into my 30s without any support, you know, formal support at all. So really, you know, didn't go to the GP, didn't have any counselling, no kind of contact with sort of secondary mental health services. So until I, until I started some counselling, I trained as a counsellor, so I, I kind of knew a lot about, about counselling, and then I went to get some counselling myself throughout my uh, 20, yeah, late 20s, early 30s, which was very helpful. Um, but then probably about 10 years ago, I kind of had a, you know, breakdown such a sort of old-fashioned words, but I suppose in, in some ways, it, you know, it definitely was that. It was me literally breaking down. Every bit of me was breaking down um, about 10 years ago. And, and then I got, you know, into, I was with mental health crisis teams and in psychiatric hospital and, yeah, multiple suicide attempts. So incredibly, incredibly unwell. Um, so acutely unwell for, you know, at least kind of kind of 18 months or so. Yeah, in, 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 you know, in and out of kind of crisis services. Um, but yeah, it was only really at that point that I kind of went, oh yeah, so the anorexia and the depression as a child and the suicide thoughts, that's all part of me having mental illness. And there was actually, you know, there's a lot of debate around labels and things, but actually for me, it was really helpful to go, I am somebody with depression, I am somebody with anxiety. Um, because it put a boundary around what I was feeling and, and, it, and it articulated what I was feeling. So I, I find that very useful for me because I can go, oh, OK, so, yeah, that symptom and that symptom and that symptom is all part of my mental illness. And and coming from a place of sort of having no input and no support, that was incredibly comforting, still is very comforting um, to know that what, you know, that it wasn't just me being weird, you know, um, that it was part of a part of an illness and part of a thing and that I could point to it and go yeah you know I have this and that made me feel you know validated yeah I think it's thank you for sharing that I think um it's really interesting you talk about kind of the value or the value we place on labels um Mm -hmm. because there's such mixed feeling and I think it's one of those it come for, for me it comes back to that idea of like there's a right way or a wrong way to do things or there's a right or a wrong way to have conversations about mental health and um it's recognized you know some things are helpful for some and not for others yeah um and I would agree I would agree with you from a personal point of view I think like I found having a diagnosis gave so much more context to Mm. essentially symptoms that I was experiencing I think it just gives you it helps you be informed as to what's going on um and I can understand how that might, you know, kind of stereotype or um, kind of not be as useful as some people want it to be. But, yeah, for me, I, I, I think the the diagnosis made a massive difference, gives you context for what's there, helps you to identify those potential things that could help in the future as well. And when you've got, um, I guess, a range of different um, illnesses and symptoms that you've kind of des- described and experienced, um there's so many different things to to actually have that diagnosis or that signposting that identifies this is what this particular thing is but also this isn't the only thing there are other things affecting you as well um to kind of help give that recognition to I guess maybe um there might have been times or have there been times I suppose I should ask have there been times where there's like something that is particularly useful for you in regards to maybe managing your um, experience with depression or low mood um, but it, it isn't helpful for another aspect of of your mental health and your well-being is there something that's kind of worked for one thing but not for another oh that's a really good question um I'm just trying to think actually um 
trying to think of yeah something what that is helpful for one thing and not another actually um so i i think probably there are probably things like writing and exercise massively help my depression mm -hmm. don't massively help my anxiety mm. um so yeah there were definitely sort of other things so yeah i will definitely write um when i'm feeling lower and that's really cathartic mm. and that, and when i and when i exercise um that definitely helps my my, my depression to a degree um, but yeah, I definitely wouldn't do that for anxiety. I would do other things. So mm. I, I would do more comfort stuff and, you know, have, yeah, try and have, deal with it in, in, in definitely different ways. Um, and I guess kind of, yeah, I guess my books will, will detail that, but yeah, I, they are, they, there are loads of crossovers with the two, but they're mm. also very, very different beasts. It's just that they chum around together. So a lot of us, <laughs> a lot of us have those those dual things you know depression and anxiety but but they are different beasts and um yeah i do i do do different things um and i will look at i do look at them as as very different different animals really and, and i'll employ different techniques so yeah i and i kind of so what i certainly what i do initially is make sure that i know which what is going on and which is which Mm. So I'll kind of listen to what, you know, intrusive thoughts or images or, you know, and I'll listen to the kind of voice that's going on and go, OK, so that's that's the anxiety voice and that's the depression voice. And, and you know, in the background, there is usually the anorexia voice as well going on as well. Mm. And yeah, and definitely treat them differently. So there are some things that, that, that work for both. So, you know, I use a lot of metaphors for stuff and I talk back to the illness a lot. Mm. Um, and I, you know, encourage people to do that loads, which is to see it as another, as, you know, so depression, I think of as a cuckoo, um, anxiety I have as this guy called Derek. Um, and I, you know, I, it, it sounds strange, but I, you know, it, it works really well for me. So I, I see them as other things. So for the depression as a cuckoo, I can hit this cuckoo and I have an image of me hitting the cuckoo. And Derek is just like this whiny guy inside my head who's just making you know who just says all the anxious stuff and I talk back to him and go you know you're an idiot you're a punker um so yeah I I see them as different things um and I think that's really useful because it also kind of goes also separates your, yourself from the illness so I can go okay I'm James and I'm James with depression and anxiety and you know a whole list of, of, of other things but you know I am not the whole sum of my parts of my illnesses. So I'm not, you know, just depression or just anxiety. Those are illnesses. Um, and we could argue forever about where those came from. But, you know, I I see them very separately to me. And I, well, I suppose when I manage them, I see them very separately to me. So I see them as something external so I can tackle them. You know, it's much easier to tackle them, seeing them as something outside of myself that, that happens to be going on in my head. Um, and I find that a really good way of doing it. So it also means that you beat yourself up less about it. So, so rather than going, oh, I can't believe I'm so anxious or I'm I'm so depressed or you know, you're saying I'm really struggling with my anxiety or the anxiety or. So it kind of it, it turns into sort of the third person. It turns into a into a, a, a exterior thing that you can talk back to. And then you give yourself much less of a hard time because I go, well, this is the illness. This is the illness. Like, I'm going to talk back to the illness. Um, and then I blame myself less, you know, because and mental health is so difficult because it's in our heads. You know, if it was in our foot, you know, it would be a lot easier. But it's not. It's in our heads and it's part of our, you know, it's it, it's so difficult to disentangle from our personality. And that's partly why, you know, we give ourselves such a hard time. Um, but it's really important to distinguish the two, I think. I think, so. yeah, and it really comes across, like you say, you kind of mentioned there where you kind of calling the anxiety Derek and having that ex, it's it's that separation. I think when you were saying that, that makes so much sense to me because by creating the almost like a persona around it, um, that helps to kind of separate and maybe. Um, I think particularly when you're maybe early in your journey with a particular illness, I think that can become a really important thing to 
to identify and start to to mm. consider even if that's not the technique you choose to use mm. i think just to consider um that there is that separation this isn't the whole you as you're kind of um highlighting there that you know you you are other things there will be other things that kind of feed into your life that are part of your life and um this isn't the only thing so i think yeah that can become really important i think comes across in some of the the chapters as well um of the book which we're we come on to in a little bit so yeah there's definitely more more there if that sounds like an approach for you there's definitely more in the books um you also mentioned kind of earlier a little bit of that i guess like a longer term history yeah. with um with your own experience um and potentially your own interests as well around kind of mental health and um I think it's really interesting because there's so many conversations that are happening now that have happened over the last, I guess, from my point of view, over the last sort of five to ten years um, around kind of mental health, well-being and illness. And um, I think I think I think that in regards <laughs> to five or ten years, because there has been a lot more interest, it's more publicly spoken about. Um, but there is also kind of a little bit of a line with my own lived experience being within that time as well mm. um, and not dating well not actively dating back much more than that um, so I, I'm very aware that there's a bit of a bias in the way that I look at it but I do think that when we say oh historically it was people had this viewpoint of asylums and hospitals and kind of being locked up I think sometimes we undersell that in making it sound like that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, like I know people that probably still think that. I know people that have definitely thought that 10 to 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and I think kind of potentially we sometimes give the impression that that's like, oh, that was like 50 or 100 years ago. People thought that like people don't still think that now. Um, but people have. I've spoken to people that have gone through that experience where they have been kind of restrained and not in great environments when they're receiving care. Um, and those examples, while they are, from a personal point of view, fewer, um, they do still exist. Um, and I think that sometimes kind of stigmatises everyone else's experience as well, when actually you you want to encourage people to come forward and speak about mental health about the struggles they might be having because it's not necessarily even an illness it might just be a particular period of time they're going through um and it's really important for them to engage in in some well-being support whether that's um like the grief of a lost relationship a job a home um a loved one there's lots of different reasons why someone could be experiencing that and need to access support um but those are my views <laughs> on on kind of what's happened in the last five to ten years um i'd be interested to hear a little bit more about kind of what you think has happened or is happening or or maybe isn't happening um in regards to just our general conversations and the approach and the stigma that still exists around mental health kind of illness and wellness yeah, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? So I, I think generally we've got better at, talk, and especially through COVID, I think you hear many more conversations about people saying, you know, COVID has affected my mental health. And I think that's, on that level, we're much better. So we're much better at going and having a bad mental health day or, you know, so using those words. Mm. Um, I don't, and I think with depression and anxiety, we're generally better. I think we're a long way, you know, from actually being better at, you know, illnesses that uh, people understand less. So mm -hmm. things like schizoaffective disorder or um, people that experience psychosis or, you know, uh, what the doctors call it, but borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the illnesses that are less easy to understand. And that's partly because, you know, less celebrities and well-known people have come out and talked about having those conditions. I think with those kind of conditions, I think we're we're a long way off. We really are a long way off. Um, and I, I mean, I generally think we're going to look back at this period as 
as being pretty medieval in terms of you know mental illness care because mm. I you know we just don't know what we're doing you know I remember when I first took um, antidepressants I, st I still take antidepressants um, and, and, I, and I think probably will do for the rest of my life and I remember saying to my psychiatrist going you know what what exactly are, are these doing and he was kind of going we don't know James you know and I would ask another question and he was going well we don't know and then I was listening to a podcast from America who was describing sort of, you know, mental illness care in terms of medication as going, well, it's a bit like a broken car and you're just liberally sprinkling, you know, oil all over the car and hoping for the best. And sometimes it hits the spot and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And I think that's very true. You know, we are kind of doing the best that we can in terms of medication now but we don't really know what's going on we don't really understand what you know why some things work and some things don't but i also think that actually from you know more awareness for mental health has has come more people coming forward but you know that hasn't been met with any you know increased funding um and actually when i am um, accessing you know crisis mental health care it's appalling <laughs> it's, it's genuinely appalling and it and it's appalling for lots of reasons you know and, and a lot of that is about funding and a lot of that is about staff burnout um but a lot of it is generally about money and just not not having enough people there um you know my my local mental health secondary mental health service was saying they were basically on the verge of collapse you know they they've got too many people they can't and they can't manage at all so it's 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 kind of extraordinary that in some ways things have got better. So we do talk more, mm. and we do talk about mental health more, and we talk, you know, we're much better about talking about well-being. Mm. Um, and so you know, and we talk about exercise and diet and getting out in the countryside and and that supporting our mental health. I don't know how much we've grown enough to understand more serious mental health conditions and and there's confusion you know so there are people like you're saying you will have you know a relationship that's broken up or have a bereavement that and you kind of go well that is understandable you know trauma and shock and you know and that is affecting your mental health um and sometimes that then knocks on to mental illness but but not always also it's a completely natural and understandable reaction to a horrific event um, so I think, you know, we're better at that stuff, the more serious size. You know, I, I suppose when I talk about my, I guess, you know, relatively acute mental illness, um, people don't always understand, you know, they'll understand having a bad day and then might call that being, feeling mm. depressed and I'll go, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not what's going on. <laughs> you're having a bad day or you're feeling really sad or you're feeling really upset. And some of those feelings are that you get when you have depression mm. um, but that isn't depression um and kind of we need another word you know definitely for depression because it's used you know as an adjective for other things so you know people go oh i'm so depressed because my football team lost and it's like you know and that's that's kind of in our language and that's not mm. I don't think that's, one we, that's not one we're going to eliminate but we kind of need another word for you know more acute depression because it's it's very 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 different so Ah, uh, it's tricky. You know, we have come a long way, but but it's easy. You know, we can't get complacent here. We really can't get complacent here because I do think we're going to look back in a hundred years and go, what on earth were they doing? You know, what on earth were they doing at this point? Um, so uh, I guess there are seeds of hope, but mm. I think um, I think most people without mental illness find it difficult to understand you know what it's like to be suicidal for example so I, i've had a lot of people said i just can't understand why you would be suicidal and i've tried to explain about you know emotional pain and lack of hope and stuff but just can't get it just can't mm. understand it um or they won't understand someone who's having a psychotic episode or you know um and it is that's a big leap for to make you know it is definitely a big leap to make but we need to keep talking and talking and talking about those more acute experiences to help people understand what it's like you know i often i was being interviewed the other day and, and i was saying you know what i'd really like was for somebody to live in my head for a day when i'm at a, a really acute you know period of depression or anxiety and just experience what it's like you know 
just for sort of 24 hours to be in my head just to see what it's like to live with that and how difficult it is to how paralyzed you feel how hopeless you feel you know how anxious you feel um and just to get an insight because it, it, it i get it it's difficult to understand um and it would be great to, and i think then people would go oh okay okay i i understand that i understand that pain i understand that sort of you know feelings of helplessness and hopelessness i understand that anxiety is paralyzing you um but i think i think we do that by doing things like this by we keep talking about it mm -hmm. and we don't shy away from words like suicidal and we keep talking about things like abuse and and you know breakdown and bereavement and and those things and and we keep talking and we keep telling our stories and i think the more that we tell our stories to them and the more people we tell our stories to and i think it gradually you know understanding comes but it takes generations and generations um but I, it is important that we don't shy away from that um so i'm always i tell you know even though telling your story about mental health makes you feel vulnerable and you're kind of wondering what people will say the more we do that um the better it gets and the less shamed we feel the less shame we feel about ourselves and usually when i have those conversations with people someone goes well me too and my brother and my sister and my dad and my aunt you know i don't think i've ever had a conversation where i've sort of come out and inverted commas about my mental illness where someone hasn't said yeah well me too or yeah i have a relative who was in hospital or i have a cousin who with schizophrenia what you know whatever it might be um there's always been a link to somebody with some kind of mental illness um so if, if you can do that i think i think that's immensely helpful and it, it, it's it, it's obviously a bit of a risk as kind of any kind of coming out processes or telling people something about yourself that you know that's deeply personal and 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 by and large i don't think we're great with sort of other people's vulnerabilities so i think people don't know what to say and you know people don't think oh if i talk about this am i going to say the wrong words am i going to make it worse and you know and sometimes people do say the wrong things <laughs> it's, it's sometimes they do they generally do you know i you know definitely had the wrong things said to me um but i also know that the times where i have talked about it and i and i do openly talk about it and yeah you know, there's no hiding really for me now <laughs> <laughs> um that it's that it's always generated a conversation around you know their own mental health and mental illness and other people's as well and there's a knock-on effect of that that we can't always see but it's that that person might then feel more confident to talk about it to their mum or their dad or when they're having a bad time you know and that's one of the big ways that we that we do it um and it's great that celebrities and, and well-known people do that and, and yeah that's really important and you know the royal family doing that has uh, had a big impact mm. but also we have our own sphere of influence with just people that we meet every day and i'm not suggesting you know we need to sit next to somebody on the bus and then announce that we have depression um but just having those conversations when they come up and not shying away from it and being open about it really 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 helps um and there were lots of those mini conversations happening every day and and i think it's also kind of those of us with sort of mental illness it's it's it is also our kind of um i kind of feel like it's an obligation also to kind of big up and talk about the other mental illnesses that are being talked about less um because we they're our comrades and and we need to be supporting them um and i think with depression and anxiety uh, to a certain extent eating disorders um have been talked about much more but there are loads of mental illnesses that haven't um and we need to sort of stand shoulder to shoulder with those people with those mm. illnesses and go yeah we're going to talk about those too we're going to talk about those as well and we're going to talk about it honestly and but with compassion and you know and we're going to challenge other people when they kind of go oh well you're not one of those psycho people are you you know we're going to challenge those that kind of language um and i think there's you know it's a it's a thing that we need to do together you know um you know we all those of us that suffer with mental illness and bad mental health need to work on this together and we kind of you know we need to be understanding that people some people can't you know understand what we're going through but that shouldn't stop us talking. 
I think, uh, yeah, there's a few a few points kind of uh, jumping into my head there. I think, um, yeah, lots of nodding happening. happening. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, there's, for me, there's, it's that, it almost feels like a couple of times you were sort of talking about the, the balance or the responsibility to provide balance to some of those conversations that we want to make, we want to make, mental health illness and those symptoms kind of um like accessible and relatable for people to understand more and to engage in conversation if they've not if they don't identify as having that lived experience that they can kind of engage with those those conversations but at the same time having that responsibility to say okay well but there's also this side that is the crisis side that is, like you say, the suicide prevention side, the, the illnesses that are maybe more complex, um, that we understand less about, that we're able to kind of accurately talk about probably much less. Um, and that can be quite a hard balance, I think, to both host those conversations and, and hear them to some extent. Um, but at this stage like you say there's there's so many great campaigns and discussions and projects that are happening that um not always but i would say probably a majority of the time are focused in on those um more I, what i would describe as more common illnesses um like you say kind of depression low mood anxiety potentially kind of i sort of say eating disorders and um OCD kind of sit on the edge of that like they are they are increasingly included but not all the mm. time mm. um and I think yeah we are starting to see that but like you say even with with depression there are kind of the the throwaway uses of language and terminology but I think again I feel like you sort of cautious you're in a little bit of an echo chamber when you enjoy like we do kind of having these conversation and engaging people in it there are a lot of people outside of that that are not part of this conversation for so many different reasons um that they are they're getting on board with anxiety and depression but maybe not the um the very serious and very complex results of, of some of those illnesses um and yeah like you said, some of the more um potentially more complex illnesses like um schizophrenia personality disorders um and a range of others as well i think i guess uh a question back to you beacon what do you what are your personal thoughts around maybe our responsibility as as people that have experienced um mental health illness and still do kind of what's our responsibility to talk about that and where does it kind of come into play to also maybe protect or not put the responsibility on some people that are still experiencing that lived illness um, to be the ones that have to talk and explain and educate other people on it. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult, isn't it? You know, I, I, I think, because I, I think sometimes, yeah, kind of what we're talking about here is people finding some mental illnesses more palatable than others. Um, and to a degree depression can be kind of glamorized so you kind of look at kind of you know the bohemian artist suffering with depression but it's very creative or kind of you know sort of tropes like that that are kind of when you experience you know, full-on depression are certainly not true um but i think i think we do have a duty I, I think we have a duty to to talk about our experience and then to try and include others with um you know other illnesses um into that conversation you know I, I really do and and it's also about our understanding as well you know I, I don't have schizophrenia or um better commas borderline personality disorder so you know I need to understand that stuff as well mm. um but if we sort of splinter off and splinter off and just kind of stay with the you know the mental illnesses that are more easier to understand then then we're just doing a disservice to us and others mm -hmm. um because you know extreme anxiety you know extreme ocd um extreme depression it will feel very far away for people to understand so you know i know that people will won't understand the periods when i feel suicidal or understand my suicide attempts or understand the things that i do when i'm incredibly anxious which you know are 
you know, on the surface of it, if you're looking from a layman's view, are very strange, you know, the mm. checking that I'll do, you know, um, all kinds of stuff. Um, but, I, you know, it's those it's those darker bits that we need to talk about, you know, because mm. because people kind of go, well, I understand sadness. OK, I understand feeling sad. So that's a bit like depression. And I, you know, and I get a bit anxious on my first day of a new job. So I kind of get anxiety. Um, so, yeah, which is, you know, true to a sort of very, very small degree. But that is quite far removed from when you're suffering from, you know, crippling acute anxiety or depression or OCD. You know, very, very, very different. You know, and it's not. You know, people will think about OCD as all. You know, just checking that the cooker knobs are off twice. You know, um, and not seeing how truly incapacitating it can be for people. I think um, that's that's for me where I guess where some of the the parts of your book come kind of into this conversation where I think there are. Um, there's definitely some chapters that really connected with me but I'm sure that it's it's true of more of them um where there's real I think relatability in some of the stories that you talk about and the experiences that you've had um that people that are not affected by kind of anxiety or or other aspects of mental health illnesses will have had those moments where they think about kind of the person that's looking at them for a little bit longer than they would expect or what do I um, put when I'm replying to messages um, or or double checking things I think those are the it's you kind of show that here's the relatable situation here is the initial reaction that maybe you've had a similar thing in the past but now here is the like the more serious or more severe side of what these illnesses can look like and it feels like it's quite an approachable way to hear those stories um because you can engage or from my point of view I think I can imagine engaging with oh I've had those thoughts but it it hasn't led to that so it gives people that opportunity to have that insight I think in a relatable way because it's not a you're not talking about an imaginary situation that no one has ever experienced Mm. um it makes it relatable and it kind of engages people and hopefully then acts as kind of that prompt to maybe have a conversation with a friend like oh I heard James talking about this or I read this in the book and is that something that that is like what you're experiencing it makes that conversation potentially easier with a friend if you've got someone that's experiencing that and I just wondered whether um, whether that was kind of part of your journey with with this when we're talking about the responsibility and kind of how we host these conversations that not only are you sharing your insights it feels very easy to go and talk to someone else having read a chapter and go James talks about this like is that similar or would you what would you kind of think or feel in that situation I just wonder whether it was part of your thought process when you were putting those chapters together that they were quite relatable situations for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the the, the kind of the books, the books that I write, I want to be incredibly accessible and funny and and be something that really anybody could read. Um, and I think I most of all want people to go, ah, me too. Mm. Uh, yeah, I do that too and then be able to talk about it absolutely so you know there were lots of books around mental health and and I was always showing mental health books that were sort of 600 pages long and you know were very medicalized and that would use terms and jargon and you know just words that I didn't understand they were written by a psychologist or a psychiatrist and I was like well I can't I can't read this book this I don't understand this book Mm. I can't I can't read 600 pages of this book from cover to cover I know you know I know how incapacitating mental illness is so I want to write books that are engaging and entertaining and that you can just dip into and that aren't massively long but there's a lot inside them and I want you know the situations so there's a there's a situation in the book where I think that I've left somebody dead in the toilet and and obviously that's my anxiety saying you've left somebody dead in the toilet because you've locked up the the office and there's somebody dead in the toilet 
and I have to go back. I'm about to go on holiday and I have to go back and check and I'm convinced I'm going to open the door and there's going to be a dead body in the toilet. And there isn't. Of course, there isn't, because that's my anxiety telling me that. Um, but that's that's we all have those moments. So we all have those moments of, you know, have I have I locked the door? Have I you know closed the window at night? Um, and so I, what I try and do is tell those situations, but ramp it up 100 percent in terms of the impact of it and ramp up the entertainment of it as well. So it's it's easy to read, it's accessible, it's funny, and yeah, so that people can go to their loved ones or to whoever. This is this is what I feel. This is what I feel about this. I, I get anxious about this. Read this bit. Um, and it, it's also about you know a lot of the feedback from my books has been that that friends and relatives have a much greater insight into their loved ones' condition through through reading what I write and I love that because it's you know I hopefully I'm writing in a way that explains quite complicated acute and serious illnesses but in an accessible way I I just don't see any point of writing complicated you know <laughs> books about mental health that no one can read I just I just don't understand how that ever came about and there's hundreds of them you know I, I just don't understand it you know I was given hundreds of them to read and I was like I don't understand this term. It was telling me to do homework. There was, you know, paragraphs and charts and paragraphs 3.1. And then and it was like, I was like, what? I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand, you know, I don't want to feel, you know, my mental illness is bad enough. Um, and if, But if I want to read about it, I don't want to, it, that to make my mental illness feel worse. I don't want to feel, you know, less worthy because I couldn't read the book. You know, it's, mm. I don't, you know, what what is the point? Um, how is that going to help? You know, so I spent years going, well, I can't read that book, and I can't read that book, and I can't read that book. Um, and, you know, my psychologist was going, just give this another book a go. And I was like, well, it was very densely CBT focused, and it would talk about different things that my brain was doing. And I was like, I don't, I don't want this, you know, I don't, I don't understand it. Give me something relatable mm. that I can go, oh, yeah, that's me. That's me. I do that as well. Mm. and and then tell me what to do so when I was first unwell with you know really severe depression anxiety 10 years ago I break down point I wanted to know what to do it's like tell me what to do and no one was really telling me what to do no one was really doing anything um but I wanted a kind of guidebook but I wanted it to be I didn't want to go okay so now on Thursday you have to do this exercise in your mind and you have to do I wanted it much more freer than that, you know? And so I kind of write the books that I want to read um, and the books that don't aren't out there because I think, well, I can't I can't be the only one, you know? And I know I'm not because the feedback I get from my books is, thank you, you know, thank you, thank you, because I, you know, people aren't writing about depression, anxiety or, or, or grief in that way. Um, and I think we need to have those, ah, oh, me too episodes. You know, we really, really need that. We need that connection. And the things that we find embarrassing, the things that I might find embarrassing, I tend to put down on paper because I think, well, it, this, it isn't just me. It isn't just me. And the only way of moving stuff along and helping myself and helping other people is by being really honest about kind of bizarre, you know, on the surface, bizarre things that I do. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the secret is that all the things that stuff that we feel ashamed of in our, in our head other people are feeling too, you know. So, you know, I'll sometimes go along the road and I'll and I'll think, oh, you know, what if I trip that person up? What, what would that be like? And of course I'm not gonna do that. But you know, we all have those kind of intrusive thoughts, those kind of weird thoughts of, you know, what if I what if I steal something from the supermarket or what you know, all those kind of things on the fringes and our mind plays those kind of tricks on us and it tests us. But actually that kind of stuff in relation to mental illness we have to talk about because there's millions and millions and millions of other people with those thoughts too and a lot of them thinking this is just me and it's not it, it really isn't i think you kind of you mentioned there a little bit like we've focused a little bit more on on one particular book but you've you've got a, a few books I, i've noted down you're involved with five i think you've got different roles in some of those but yeah. um yeah, you've, there's a few different ones. I don't know if you want to kind of mention some of those and maybe the particular areas because they focus yeah. on different areas as well. Yeah, they do. So, so yeah, so I, I, I 
I, I founded a project called the Recovery Letters, um, and I and I started that when I first got out of psychiatric hospital, and and that's an online project. So you yeah, people can find that at www.therecoveryletters.com or just type in Recovery Letters and it will come up. And that's um, a website where people write letters who are recovering from depression and they write them to people that are currently experiencing it. And um, and that got yeah, you know amazing amount of publicity and um, radio, radio and BBC and various other places. And then that turned into a book. Um, so yeah, in the book there are. So I edited the book with a uh, with a friend of mine. Um, and we found yeah some of the letters came from the website and some of them were new. But yeah, there are 65 letters from people around the world. Um, writing to people that are experiencing depression and really they you know they don't disguise how awful depression is but they kind of say there is some hope and you know and hope is one of the things I think with all mental illnesses that we have to really concentrate on because without that we can't see any way forward and a lot of mental illnesses just you know obliterate hope completely and you need a little slice of it you need a kind of flicker a bit like our candles we were talking about earlier mm. you need a flicker of light to be able to take the steps that you need to to um to carry on so yeah that turned into a into a book um which is on the reading well list which is the reading agency's kind of um mental health list um it was a world book night title and yeah that's been translated in lots of different languages and then a sort of follow-up to that book is it's called what i do to get through um, and that's a list of accounts of people, again, with, with depression, who use different hobbies and activities to help to help them. So there's fantastic accounts about how cooking helps and about how walking a dog helps and how, you know, exercising helps and, you know, a whole, a whole range of swimming, a whole range of stuff, or crocheting and all different kinds of stuff. And it's, it's basically a social prescribing book. Um, and then, and then I started to kind of, yeah, write. Uh, so those, I edited, co-edited those two books, and then, and then I've started to write um, books with Little Brown. So how to tell depression to piss off, and then uh, the book out in January is how to tell anxiety to sod off, um, and then in July next year I have a book about grief coming out called How to Get to Grips with Grief, um, and those three books kind of, you know, run a similar format of kind of forty ways of of managing and again you can dip in and out of the chapters you don't have to read it you know sort of like a linear book um and yeah and they're doing great um they're doing really well so yeah they're being translated into lots of different languages and and yeah they're fantastic and they're kind of i love writing them i love the feedback um and yeah i love the impact they have no it's, it's really interesting to to read through um and like I said, I just I think the the way you put the chapters together is a really accessible way for people to be able to look. And I think particularly given what we've said, that when you're looking sometimes for those stories and those insights to be able to kind of jump back to a chapter you've read previously or if you just want to read it in a different order. Yeah, um, I can't help myself. I've got to read it page to page. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it just makes it more accessible to think, oh, I remember there's that chapter. I want to go back and read that. I think I've got two where I folded over the corner. Like, These are the ones yeah. that I, I would mention to somebody else. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there'll be a couple more. And I think it's just it's it's as you said earlier, it's it's fulfilling that whatever purpose you've set out for, if the purpose is for it to be a a medical journal. OK, that's great. But if it's for you know just the person that is experiencing a particular struggle that maybe is started to seek support or maybe hasn't it needs to be way more accessible and it needs to be almost kind of you're dropping into the conversation and uh yeah I think the way you structured it just just feels like that clearly is going to be so much more easier and so much more accessible for people so yeah no I'm not surprised to hear um it's been going really well and hopefully people will uh continue to look out for those so you said um how to tell anxiety to sod off in january um, yeah. and then another one you've got the the book about grief coming out in the summertime yes in july yeah that comes, that comes out in july yeah so yeah um yeah so two out next year so yeah which is which is which is fantastic so yeah it, it it's i like i kind of 
I guess you know I think the more for me the more accessible the language is the more accessible the reading format is the more accessible the writing is around mental health you know we have so many barriers to doing things with mental illness you know there are so many things that that, that, that our illnesses stop us doing we don't want another one to feel bad about another one so mm-hmm. um I guess why I write the books in that in that way is, is simply that it's because I want them to be as accessible as possible and so the chapters aren't long so you know and you don't need to remember what's happened in the previous chapter you can go in and out and absolutely I kind of I, I really encourage people to do what you've done so turn the pages down circle stuff use it as a workbook almost you know kind of just write stuff all over it and um yeah I couldn't bring I couldn't bring myself to writing in it <laughs> <laughs> I give you permission. It's all right. <laughs> I did. There was a, there was a I, I picked up. A, I was like, no, 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 no. I'll pass over that. No, go for it. Honestly, I, I, I think that stuff's really important because I, I, I mean, I do that with um, mental health books that I find useful. Mm. Um, that I, you know, so uh, there's a book by uh, Dr. Tim Cantor called um, "Depressive Illness: Curse of the Strong," which is a fantastic sort of the introductory book to depression that I read when I was first really unwell and um it's just written all over and there's things turned down pages turned down and mm. circled and it's like I can go back to it and go oh yeah I remember why, why that passage was really important because I need to remember that mm. so yeah I, I know it feels a bit odd kind of writing over books but um <laughs> actually I think it is really important if you're going to keep the book you know it's it's yeah. making laws you know it belongs to you it is your book um, so you know you have my express permission to write all over oh, it. <laughs> when you're told it's okay by the author. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, thank you so much, Dave, for coming in and kind of sharing some of your insights, your experiences, um, and introducing us to your to your upcoming books, but um, some of the previous work as well. Um, okay. If people wanted to find out a bit more about you, about some of the things that are going on, maybe they want to order uh the book in january like where are some of the places that they can go to do that so yeah so the the how to tell anxiety to to sort off is yeah so it's available to pre-order so you can do that i mean you know it'd be great if you do that through your independent bookshop they need they need your help um but it's available through waterstones and amazon and then kind of all the all the big places as well um you can find me at um www.jameswithy.com um, I'm on Twitter at James W. Withy. The recovery letters is on Twitter as well. Um, I am on Instagram somewhere, not very active on Instagram, but you know, occasionally I'll post stuff. So you can find me there too, or yeah, or you can send me an, an email through my through our website. Yeah, I mean, do do get in touch, and it's always you know great to hear from people. Um, so yeah, I am I am there, and um, and yes, please when you buy the book, write all over it. <laughs> we've definitely mentioned that that is something you should be doing i'll work my way up to it <laughs> up to it. it's, yeah. it's going to be okay <laughs> awesome thank you so much james for, for coming on and i look forward to having a conversation again in the future brilliant cheers These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission to say you just need a little bit of help. And I don't think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it.